gonna be forced to. <laughs> Damn right. I'm surprised you don't harass me on LinkedIn already. Um, I very rarely go on. Still like post on, uh, on like any comments I or anything I posted. Be like, that's so interesting, Captain Law. It's just like, <laughs> name drop or like, you know. I'm, I'm just, waiting. Like, just engage. I'm waiting with for all you to post posts. a picture of your spreadsheet. Yeah, engage with it in the most like condescending way imaginable, and then be like, <laughs> everyone's like, who's this dick? <laughs> Why does Captain Law hang out with him? Uh oh. Uh, oh, easy. Yeah, good evening, everyone. Um, before we get into anything just yet, uh, just while we're sort of waiting for the live stream to, to warm up slash people to finish watching the video or whatever sort of they may be doing with their lives, uh, I'm going to make a recommendation slash a request for this Q&A uh, just because I think it's going to be on the slightly more controversial side. Uh, and I'm hoping that people have lots of opinions and I'm hoping that plenty of people shout at me and that's going to be a great outcome. But what I really want to avoid is uh, microphone feedback because I also anticipate there's going to be a lot of people in here. Um, so I'm going to make a request uh, that unless you're a staff member, um, just by default, mute your microphone or a staff member will mute it for you. Um, and if you do have a question, feel free to unmute yourself. Uh, and then ask away, of course, you know, that's what we're all here for. But uh, too many times there's been, it's sort of been like a game of whack-a-mole where we kind of have to, uh, you know, uh, come in and, and find people that are got these, uh, you know, microphones that just echo and they're annoying and they sort of derail everything. Uh, so it's, uh, if I could make the request, that'd be, that'd be great. Otherwise, I mean, if you have push to talk on, well, we don't really know how, we don't really know that. So just, just mute your microphones by default. Uh, it really, really helps out. All right, cool. Uh, and then sporadically in the in the VC chat, just put mute your damn mics. Uh, I think that'll hopefully make it a little bit more tolerable for everyone's ear holes. Now that we've got that out of the way, um, standard operating rhythm as always. I hope you guys are uh, well and happy, and um, you know you uh, have been avoiding the craziness out there in the world. And if you can stay home, you are staying home. And if you can't, well, that you're you know practicing good hygiene and all that sort of stuff uh you know you know they we're living through history at the moment it's crazy crazy times and all we can do and do is stay as safe as possible um outside of that though welcome to the q a stream um i hope you guys enjoyed the video even if you don't necessarily agree with everything um it's one of those things where of course it's it's speculation but it's speculation based on case studies that i think are really really interesting and hopefully if nothing else even if you didn't agree with me uh you learned something along the way so um as of the sort of topics uh normally they sort of go for about an hour the first half an hour we try to as much as possible stay on uh subject of the video it almost inevitably does not happen uh but that's okay uh, at the end of the day this is sort of like a casual forum and you know oftentimes you guys have really really good uh, really, really good questions. Now, Captain Locke, uh, as always, uh, I just expected of him, and he lamentingly uh, puts it up. Will put up the sort of topics of discussion for for tonight, and he'll put it in a nice little um, sort of text picture that you can look at. So, if it you can, and well, if you do have questions um, that aren't directly related to this, try and hold off until sort of a little bit later on, um, because for the most part, I just want to sort of engage with. Uh, you know, the, the direct questions, because I think there's going to be a lot to go over with this. Uh, and the same to everyone on the YouTube live stream, of course, you or you can't sort of chat with me directly using your audio, but you can uh, put it in the live chat. I make sure to check that as well. Um, either way, we're trying to try and answer as many questions as, um, 
you know, as people can. All right, cool. So with that out of the way, um, and to anyone else that's just come in, mute your mics. Uh, who has a question, comment? Does anyone want to shout at me? Does anyone want to disagree, agree, say I'm stupid? I have one question. Yeah, go ahead. Who is the CEO of Lil Bitch Inc? You. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait, I, got a, I got a question. I have a question. Yeah, how do ahead. we get? How do we get more money? How do we get more money? Okay, I don't know why you'd ask an economist that. That's the worst person we... to ask. <laughs> yeah. How, do we, how can we all get money? All right, here's the secret, you know. Uh, whoever's whoever's hippity-hoppity on their chair, I'm going to murder you. Um, there uh, is, I suppose, one way that is somewhat, uh, well, not even then it's guaranteed, but, you know, it's going to give you the best chance for success. Uh, that is to... You know, get educated, find a good well-paying job, save a good portion of your income, invest it wisely, uh, and then, you know, somewhere in the future, you'll have more money. You're welcome. I mean, that's what I do. Okay, thank you. On a more serious note, I got uh, an observation if you need to make on the whole Baton Road initiative. Know how many of you have noticed, but there are no <coughs> maritime routes to India when you look at it in the string of first strategy that China is pushing. You can see hmm, in Bengal, I wonder one, why. one in Ceylon and one in Pakistan. Like so it, it looks like a yeah. triangle to isolate India. So that, that's going to be a bit of a scuffle over there since India is still threatened by China on the sea by now. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy geopolitical uh, situation that they find themselves in because, of course, you know, uh, India themselves, obviously, a very influential economy. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, of course, there's been lots and lots of tension, even more so when you consider that, uh, that Pakistan, uh, which is part of the, I suppose, the sort of, it's not an official project, the String of Pearls, um, but Pakistan is, is part of it. And, uh, you know, India and Pakistan, uh, historically, of course, do not get along at all. So China sort of directly, um, you know, being in cahoots with them is, is obviously sending a pretty, pretty direct message. So, uh, you know, of course, that's geopolitics, uh, not my area of speciality, but uh, it's interesting nonetheless. It's certainly um, you know, crazy times, of course. Okay, observation number two. The whole uh, debt-trapping things of African nation is just basically neo-colonialism at this point. Just by a corrupt governor, you don't need to rule, but you still get access to their natural resources, which Africa has a lot of in it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, it is. It's, uh, you know, effectively the fact that, um, you know, they will have a huge influence over these economies. They... Um, look, I mean, it, it, it's a give and take, and I tried to sort of gently mention the fact that it's not necessarily something that's going to be, it's not evil, uh, it's just probably a little bit dishonest. Uh, realistically, I think that, you know, these African countries, of course, at the moment, they're extremely poor. Um, and, you know, if China really does want to get its value out of them, it's going to need to make them richer so that they can produce more, so that they can generate more wealth. Uh, but... Uh, of course, in doing that, you know, they, they are going to take a pretty significant ownership stake effectively in these countries. So uh, you're right, it is uh, colonialism without the need to actually go and stick a flag in it. 
uh, whether it benefits both parties, who's to say? But normally and historically, we've seen that, of course, uh, uh, any kind of colonialism massively favours the colonisers rather than the colonised. Yeah, I guess. But in, uh, speaking as a Chinese Malaysian, I mean, I'm just like, you know, disclosing my bias. Uh, I just, I've always thought about this as a willing seller, willing buyer kind of basis where I'm offering you a loan at a certain interest rate and you're putting up these things of economic value like ports or say trading centers or whatever you might have uh, given Chinese China on a 99 year lease as collateral. So is, is it not just, you know, fair trade? Yeah. And I mean, that's of course a, a pretty decent argument. And now, of course, when you're taking out loans and things like that on a personal level, you have things like consumer protection and most countries, you know, um, ban things like usurious loans and stuff like that. Uh, but of course, on a national and international level, the assumption is that countries ought to be able to make their own decisions. And, you know, at, that, at the end of the day, that's um, what being an independent country is all about, you know, getting to make your, your own decisions, be they good or bad. Uh, and yeah, look, I mean, in a certain extent, yes, I, I do agree with you. Um, now, of course, these these loans are well. I mean, look, they're they're sometimes sort of put in a way where the actual uh, benefits might be a bit sort of overemphasized. You know, the fact that hey, we're going to develop your industry and all of this is going to be great. And uh, sometimes things like oh, by the way, you know, it's going to be a, a Chinese construction company that actually builds this or that. Uh, maybe it's put to the side, but at the end of the day, look, obviously it is it is all written down there and it is all sort of above board. So um, I don't know, the, you know the, the, the hippie within me sort of wants to say, ah, oh, no, man, that's not cool. But I do, for the most part, kind of agree with you. Yeah, I guess. But just to argue against my own point, you're also looking at these uh, countries with uh, less than secure or very doubtful politicians. Yeah, well, of course, corruption and the influence of, you know, sort of backroom yeah. deals with, with, you know, the heads of state that might not necessarily be acting in the best interest of their nation. Well, look, uh, I think the, the moral argument you have to ask yourself there is, um, look, obviously, corruption is bad. Most people can agree with that. But um, I think it ultimately comes down to the fact that is it the responsibility of China to make sure that a country does not have corrupt leadership? I would argue no, not really. It's the it's up to the country themselves. Um, now, look, obviously, countries can assist in facilitating things like you know free and open elections and stuff like that. Um, but again, you know, it, it goes back to what you know what nationhood is, what it is to be sort of a you know a liberated and independent state. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's their kind of um, and this is there's no way to sort of really say this without sounding awful, but it's kind of their problem to deal with in a sense. Um, yeah. But, you know, look, again, it's not necessarily economics at that point. That's, uh, you know, political science. But yeah, but it is very interesting, um, just sort of where you draw the line there. So TLDR, uh, don't sell your country to China. Yeah, or TLDR, oh. don't, don't have corrupt leadership. I've got a question as well. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what happens if the African countries just deny China from taking their land? Uh, yeah, well, uh, there's obviously a few you know, things of recourse there. Uh, at the end of the day, it would go to like a, you know, an international body, uh, things like the IMF, uh, the United Nations, they could ultimately argue it there. Um, you know, like a mutual third party would be their first port of call. The other thing is, like, let's say Kenya versus China. Ugh. It's probably going to be the other way around in terms of who's going to let 
who use what uh, when you sort of think of it. Ultimately, it comes down to brass tacks. Uh, obviously, one country is significantly wealthier and, wealthier and significantly more powerful. Uh, but it is a good question, of course, you know. Uh, it's in the same way, you know, what's to stop someone taking out a home loan, never paying it back, and then, you know, sitting in their doorway with a, with a 12 gauge and saying, that is my land now, you know. Course, yeah, well, I kind of imagine this, this, is, this is why we don't. It's a, it's a famous thing from uh, Game of Thrones. This is why I don't lend money to you. If you're gonna be that type of type of uh, character, like we'll know heads up, uh, you know, from the get go. We're ninety five percent sure uh, that you know we'll get our money back in some form or another. Their their other uh, recourse is just not doing trade with them anymore. Um, China can point out to everybody else saying, "Look, Kenya did this. Should you really trust them?" They just defaulted, and uh, they did not uh, go through uh, proper, uh, you know, bankruptcy. Yeah, sure, but I, I don't think they would take it by force because that would break international law and effectively declare war on Kenya, for instance. Well, nobody's nobody would be able to. That would not happen. Uh, to 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 the west. No, they don't. They've done that. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, uh, so oh, just so to, to, to finish answering that question, yeah, of course, you know, it's extremely unlikely that China's going to, you know, um, sail in and take that port by force because, of course, it would be a horrendous look for them in the international community. You know, the second most powerful country on earth, you know, steamrolling some poor African nation. Not great. Um, but, of course, you know, it, yeah, it would be breaking sort of international laws, but, you know, effectively Kenya would have been breaking the law first by. Um, you know, taking back what rightfully belongs to a foreign country, you know, what sounds like by force themselves. So, uh, yeah, it's again, it's one of those things where at this level, there's no hard and fast laws. Uh, it, it is ultimately, you know, who has the biggest stick. Um, but, you know, hopefully it doesn't quite come to that. Uh, someone else had a question. Uh, there's a question I on the last stream. Uh, uh, excuse me. Go ahead. Can I, uh, can I answer to Nicholas's question? Nicholas's question just now, whether or not what happens to the country uh, when they try to fight off the debt trap? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously there are a few ways that you can get around this. So, um, yeah, the first is... Yeah, like, like uh, what my country did was, uh, is that they basically um, fought the debt trap by actually renegotiating the deals with China. Um, basically, in Malaysia, is the East Coast Rail Line, where the Chinese company is supposed to actually um, charge us more on the, on the development of the East Coast Rail Line. But at the end of the day, uh, our new government at that time managed to strike a deal to actually lower the cost. And you can't really fight and cancel the projects but you can at least renegotiate and put down the deal that's what my country did yeah and and at the end of the day something that you need to remember is that china doesn't want to uh china doesn't want to steamroll these countries they're kind of playing a game of monopoly right uh and you're not going to win a game of monopoly by blowing up your own houses so they effectively want to own infrastructure and have influence in countries that are going to be able to return wealth back to them. So giving you an example of, let's say, a railroad, they would much rather that railroad, 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 uh, railroad get completed uh, and that they can drive some kind of revenue from it and that you, you know, let's say you are paying back some of the debt as opposed to none of it, because uh, that's effectively a revenue source for them, which is what they're after. They're not after sort of, you know, 
um, holding this this looming thing over your head. At the end of the day, they just want to get rich. Um, you know, they might be going around it in a way that sort of seems a bit, ugh, but uh, yeah, it is it is ultimately in their best interest to make sure that those countries also um, grow and become become wealthier as well. I suppose. So if if anybody wants to see a test run of this strategy, I will recommend looking into Sri Lanka at what happened to their major port when they uh, teetered near the edge of bankruptcy. It's a, quite an interesting case study of Chinese debt trap diplomacy. I would recommend people uh, reading up on it. It's quite fascinating what they did there. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, uh, we have a question over on uh, the YouTube live stream, which seems really, really interesting, actually. Um, how will the organizations like the East Africa community affect the debt tap policy of China and a member uh, in the member countries? So uh, it's really interesting and also see as uh, also the African economic region as well now, um, which is a you know, pretty significant development for the continent. Uh, and the answer is, to be honest with you, I don't know. Um, there are a few things that, that could happen. I, th I suppose the big one, and maybe this is my sort of uh, overly optimistic view of the world. Uh, if anything, it might mean that these countries are sort of more effective, uh, you know, economies in their own right by sort of working with their neighbours. Um, you know, they develop a bit more economies of scale. They have, you know, um, you know the, the internet connectiveness that, that leads to uh, faster development, which means that they hopefully will be able to produce more wealth uh, have less conflict, which would put them in a position to, um, you know, be you know able to pay these loans off without sort of having to worry about what happens if they default. Now, um, the other thing is, of course, it, it might just do nothing. Uh, it might just be sort of just another institution that they're a part of. They, they do lots and lots of talk, and at the end of the day, um, there's still countries in crippling debt. But uh, fingers crossed, you know, there are positive outcomes, and if there are positive outcomes, that, that means good things for, um, you know, for their, their debt as well. I've got a question if I can just jump in real quick. Go ahead. Um, like with the US uh, kind of seeming to jump out of the WHO. Yeah. Um, oh, and all that, like it might it's I guess it's a little bit related to the, the China coming out on top thing. Um like how likely is that to benefit or not benefit uh, China just I guess in regards to tackling the corona thing right um look i mean uh it, it's too early days at this point if they, if they do leave the world health organization of course i think it's going to be more a problem of uh addressing the next pandemic rather than dealing with this one uh per se because at the end of the day look, it's become sort of an individual national issue at this point uh, and obviously the world health organization is helping to coordinate efforts but um i think it's probably more going to be an issue you know, uh, in another 10 years from now when someone else wants to cook up some some god-awful animal somewhere and uh, it leads to something like this, uh, that's probably going to be where it's a problem. I think realistically, I don't actually see this going ahead. Um, I'm not a sort of super well-versed in American politics, but it's my understanding that Trump doesn't necessarily actually have the power uh, to, to really go on, on federal funding that's already been passed by Congress. Uh, now, I could be wrong, and I, in my understanding, it's a bit of a controversial issue at this point, but um, it might be one of those things that actually does end up going any, not going anywhere, and, and fingers crossed that is. It might be under the purview of policy. Nah, well, there you go. I mean, um, 
My answer, the best one I can give, who knows? Uh, now, I know that's probably not the satisfying answer that you were hoping for, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I've got to be honest, and, and no one really would know. It. It's wild speculation, and it could go in any which way. Uh, best I can assume is that it'll probably probably make the next one sort of worse and we'll be less prepared for it if you know speaking funding of... is, is reduced. Go ahead. So speaking of dev trap, uh, dev trap diplomacy, maybe you could uh, provide some comparisons to the U.S. Uh, version of the Belt and Road, which was the NAFTA agreement. Yeah, and I think um, obviously American uh, America, the, especially as a country, is not innocent of this by any means at all. Um, but uh, I think the big sort of differentiating factor there is the North American Free Trade Agreement uh, was a trade agreement. It wasn't something where they were, um, you know, sort of going out and sort of hoping that. Um, they're going to snap up sort of infrastructure in Canada and, and Mexico. Uh, now, that being said, of course, um, there are many, 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 many examples and, and endless sort of uh, documentaries and books and journal articles that you can read about the United States and how they sort of get their big corporations into, um, you know, I suppose we make the joke of like oil-rich nations and, and things of that nature uh, to make sure that they can generate wealth outside of their country and... China's kind of doing the same thing here, probably in a somewhat accelerated way. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of say that the North American Free Trade Agreement would be the uh, would be a direct parallel for the for the Belt and Road Project. Um, some may disagree, but it, it's more of a it's like a trade agreement, not necessarily a direct sort of infrastructure uh, project that you know kind of has a trade agreement sort of interwoven in it. Um, the Belt and Road Project yeah, is, yeah, is significantly. Yeah, significantly more influential, and it also has uh, obviously a, a country that you know is going to be the the big top dog amongst all of it. That that's kind of obviously holding all the strings. And I suppose you know North American Free Trade Agreement, America is in that case. But I would like to think that Mexico and Canada have probably a bit more of a bit more of a say than you know, let's say Kazakhstan will in the Belt and Road projects. That's the thing. Uh, China has a much more domineering attitude towards its partners than the U.S. when it comes to these uh, kind of uh, projects. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. Look, I'll, that is, uh, again, conjecture and, and who's to say, there are some awful examples of America being, uh, you know, pretty domineering in, in the people that they're sort of subjugating. But uh, the big differentiating factor is normally when America goes out, um, they'll invest directly in something. So if an American company goes out and sets up a factory in some country, it'll be a direct investment. They will buy that factory. They will own that factory from the get-go. And sure, you know they're going to take advantage of cheap labor to you know to generate wealth in that country. And um, sure, you know maybe they're going to bribe their way into something like uh, contracts for uh, you know drilling oil or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, it's them that owns it rather than them giving a loan and then hoping that that loan gets defaulted on and just so that they can sort of then snap it up. Um, so I think that's the big differentiating factor. A loan is a lot safer and it's probably a little bit less dishonest. So if you had a country that maybe wasn't willing to, let's say, hand over a big port. Um, so if, you know, America maybe, let's say, went to, to Kenya and said, hey, uh, give us that port, we'll pay you this amount and we'll, we'll upgrade it. They might say, yeah, no, we don't really want to do that. This is our biggest trade port and we kind of want to hold on to it. We want to keep it in sort of national hands. Yeah, okay, well, that wouldn't go anywhere. Now, if China came to them and said, hey, 
We're going to give you this big loan. It's on very, very low interest. Isn't that fantastic? Um, you get to upgrade this port. You know, you, you, you'll look at all the extra business that you'll be able to do. Isn't that great? Well, that's fine. That sounds great to me. Yeah, no worries. Where do I sign? And that means then I will be able to you know, just pay back this loan and I'll still own my port. Now, if I do default on it, of course, then I don't own my port. Effectively, they've achieved the same outcome, um, but it's from a position where they've probably been a little bit less honest about it. I, I hope that makes sense. That's, that sounds very rambly, but does that, hopefully that makes yeah, sense to everyone. One thing I've had on my mind for some time is what are the implications of China, the Chinese yuan becoming the reserve currency? And I, I think it's unlikely because they print and they inflate their currency on whim, but I think that's their overarching goal. And how fucked would the US be if they are replaced? Well, to some, yeah. That's a really, really good question. Now, um, you made an interesting comment there. Um, you don't think they will because they print money on a whim. I don't know. I've been paying attention to anything yeah, so in the world at the moment. I, uh, I, I have, and it, they've basically been... Uh, so, for example, when the yuan increases, uh, deflates, which mean their exports become more expensive and they become less competitive. So they just print money so that the value of the currency de uh, inflates and therefore they become more competitive. And uh, other way around, the, the value of their currency yeah. deflates so they become more competitive, yeah. Yeah, so so that's what, that's that's the, I feel like the main thing that will stop them from becoming a reserve currency. But if they do, uh, what happens? So I don't think the US dollar is going to go away as a reserve currency. Uh, certainly not in Western, certainly not in Western countries. So uh, between you and me, I don't know, just call it a psychological thing. I would much prefer to have US dollars than Chinese RMB. I don't know, just like, even if it was exactly the same and even if I could exchange it, there's some, that's something psychological about it. Uh, and that's what the US kind of eventually holds on to as well as, you know, being sort of widely accepted at the end of the day, a currency is a currency. It's ultimately paper rectangles. Now, I think it has the ability to be a parallel, um, a parallel currency that rivals the US dollar, especially in, uh, you know, places like Southeast Asia, uh, countries that will be part of the Belt and Rod project. Um, you know, African countries. They there's no reason for them to necessarily say that. Yep, US dollars are better than than Chinese dollars, especially since. In a lot of these countries, China's their biggest trading partner. China's their biggest importer and exporter of goods. They're ultimately sometimes reliant on China for uh, delivering, you know, things like consumer goods and stuff to them. So Chinese RMB is, is if anything, better and more usable for them than US dollars. Uh, so that would be, and I and I don't think the currency manipulation, which is sort of, they, they've been weaning off uh, sort of direct currency manipulation for a little while now, um, but. Uh, it's not going to be something that makes or breaks it. At the end of the day, um, you know, look, uh, America has the same kind of influence over their, their currency. They just let it float uh, on a foreign exchange market. But it's not as if they don't have sort of direct control over the supply uh, of their currency. But they could effectively do the same thing if they really wanted to is the point I'm trying to make. Um, so I don't think that'll influence it. All right, you um, kind of haven't really answered any questions from the all right who's who's mike's feedback oh. <laughs> well at least someone's watching yeah. the video uh yes uh yes i i should answer the q a uh stream all right um so 
uh, there's someone uh, I was thinking of studying economics in college and was wondering if there are any good jobs for economist degree that and does have a background in economics help with modern investment investor lifestyle oh uh, yes of course economics and normally mix it with economics and finance and that's a good sort of uh, combined degree you can get a job in, in banking finance uh, even sort of uh, individual companies that that need economists or finance managers and stuff like that uh, it's very very diverse and it gives you a good understanding of how the world works I like to say that you know history is actually surprisingly a really 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 good degree for business it's just not it's just not that palatable uh, people say a history degree and go oh, yeah, that's useless we can't use that here in uh, XYZ corporation uh, economics is effectively the same thing you know you're looking back at history and how people interact with things and uh, you know learning from from lessons of a bygone era um, but somehow economics is, is become more palatable uh, people see it as something akin to finance which of course it's not um, but it's a good way to uh, yeah oh, anthropology is better than history well there you go it's uh, it's a good way to kind of sneak it in there um, but normally also I'd recommend mixing it with something like finance if you do want a job in, in banking or financial services or investing, as you said. Okay, uh, that was not on topic, but um, okay. So, Hello, can I pose a question? Yes, go ahead. Uh, so don't, don't you think that this pandemic is uh, too, too convenient for the Hong Kong protests? <laughs> it's like it's a more politics-driven question, but it's related to the topic. Uh, it's too convenient for what? For the Hong Kong pro protests, like the riots. That, that were... Oh, right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's... It's always... like perfect timing, you know? I don't think that the Chinese government made the virus, but I, I think it's like, oh, this, this can help us, you know? <laughs> uh, we, we call those uh, coincidences. Yeah, Just... I think that that's probably... Look, I mean... I don't look... believe that... That's <laughs> Yeah, I think, look, crazier things have been true, uh, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, no, I, I would not. I, I give that at best a 5% chance of, of being the case. Um, I, yeah, look, I mean... Uh, not just like, oh, we, we have this under control like in one week or something, and then, then we, we, we make something, you know, just just let the news know, you know? <laughs> All right, it was nah, not. I, yeah, it maybe, was. maybe, but yeah. A month. How do I know that? It's because I listened to yeah, these every yeah, single morning. <laughs> I kept track of that. Yeah, it was. Uh, anyway, I someone else remember. had a, someone else had a question. So. Yes, you mentioned the middle income trap and how China is basically looking for the next um, step down the stairs, now to move, like looking for cheap labor in other African countries, for instance. Yep. But. I mean, China is the biggest country in the world. How it's really difficult for them to move all the manufacturing to find the same amount of population to move all these industries into another country, no? America was the biggest manufacturing nation in the world. It moved it over there in, in the space of, you know, you know, 30 or 40 years where you outsourced everything. There's no reason that China couldn't do the same. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, I still think China will be a manufacturing nation. It'll just move into slightly sort of more advanced manufacturing. It already is, you know. Uh, it'll move from creating, you know, uh, cheap toys that we put in dollar stores to electronics to, um, you know, it'll develop its own cars or aircraft or things like that. You know, really, really expensive, high value adding stuff. Uh, and it will also become a more service-based economy. Um, but I don't think there's sort of much merit in the fact that um, they can't move industry to... Uh, you know, countries like Africa, at the end of the day, 
Um, business will move where there's profit to be made. If it becomes much more economically viable to set up industry in Africa, uh, and they can profit off that, and you know China's like a nice little middleman in between that, it'll happen. It'll happen very quickly. Um, you know, and it, of course it'll be a large and significant and slow pro process, but uh, but it will happen. But it's a good question. Uh, I have a question. Can I ask it? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm so, just. Uh, oh, you okay. So, uh, I'm sorry for my for my English. Um, uh, it's not my first uh, language, uh, but uh, I see a lot of people uh, like reflecting a lot on what indicator of the economy is like the most important. I mean, like uh, as I understand, we can't say uh, right now what what. Uh, what's going to happen next with the economy and how how big the crisis will be but uh, different people say different things like oil prices are the most important indicator of stuff or un unemployment rates could you could you reflect a little bit on on different uh, indicators in the economy you can i take this question uh yes you can because i think right. uh captain lock uh sort of specializes in and he's a, an incredibly intelligent man and you should all sort of listen to what captain lock has to say um but before i uh, before i sort of hand over to him and, and bow to his experience on this sort of topic i just want to say how fantastic it is when people introduce themselves and say uh apologies my english is not so great and then they speak in fluent beautiful english that's better than my bogan ass you know like whatever it is that i speak so that makes me feel very inferior uh and, and uncultured so thank you for that um thank you but no no your, your interest in english is fantastic mate uh but anyway over to captain lock yeah i'd also add the exact same thing that uh e just said uh yeah your english is perfect much better than my broken american english um so to answer your question what what economic indicators do we really want to look at which one's the most important um they're all important uh if you look at a single economic indicator you're going to miss the story because an economic indicator excuse me, an economic indicator by itself does not paint a full picture. It just paints something. Um, and if you're reliant on one economic indicator, you could, you're essentially uh, missing the forest for the, a single tree. Uh, so that's why you should be looking at multiple economic indicators. Oh, there's, and there's tons of economic indicators, excuse me, economic indicators. Key thing you want to, uh, look for is how the economic indicator is built what story does it tell and if you use that economic indicator uh and compare it amongst other economic indicators does the story hold up um so in the case of you know say we have a recession there's an economic indicator uh that came out yesterday that retail in the united states fell by 8.7 percent which is the worst it's ever done uh, and then you want to check that and say against uh, other economic indicators that would um, kind of verify that. Now you can't do it immediately because some of those economic indicators come out at specific times. But you know, within a week, I could verify that yes, the retail uh, economy did fall by eight percent, and I have a bunch of additional in information to back it up. But if I was reliant on just that one economic indicator, I would miss out on a ton of other valuable information. It's a good place to start. However, it's not the be-all, end-all. And the same thing goes with, with GDP, uh, with, with uh, any uh, other economic indicator. It's only as useful as the information it provides. And I no think, more, no less. 
sorry to interrupt. So, sorry, it's just like well, I think what you're trying to say is it's it's um, that you you should always look at the indicators and uh, and give context to them. You know, because without context, they don't mean anything. Uh, I can I can make my balance sheet as I wish and. But uh, in behind the scenes, my company can be entirely broken. You know. I think that's I think that's fifty percent right. And look, a balance right. ba balance sheet a is. Balance sheet. Oh, someone's echoing again. Uh, we yeah, there we go. Uh, okay, so I think the way when I used to teach that I um, sort of put this to people uh, as a very very basic, obviously, analogy for it is to think of when you're driving a car. Uh, obviously, when you're sitting in a, in a driver's seat, there are lots and lots of dials and gauges and stuff that show you all kinds of information about your car. Now, if you only look at one, um, well, you're not going to get the full picture. So let's say your speedometer could be, you know, just perfect. No problem at all. Uh, you know, might be going 100 kilometers an hour down the, uh, down the highway, you beauty. But if, you know, the check engine light's on, well, you've got a problem. Or, you know, if the check engine light's not on or... There's no, uh, there's nothing on your rev counter, or you know, there's something that says time for a Feel. service. Or let's say, uh, you know, everything else is working correctly, but you're not going anywhere. Uh, of course, you have to take all of those kinds of things into consideration. Yeah, again, you know, yeah, fuel. That's a that's a good one as well. Uh, only all of those gauges are there because they mean something. They're important for you to know to address the, you know, how safe, reliable. Uh, and useful your car is going to be in the immediate future. And it's the same thing for an economy. You, if you had a car that had nothing but a speedometer, it'd be useless. If you had a car that had nothing but a tachometer or a fuel gauge, uh, it'd be useless. You need uh, to look at the whole big picture. And what is true for, you know, obviously a car, uh, on a much, much larger scale is, is true for an economy. So to, to wrap up with that question, uh, we can say that we were already having like uh, the worst crisis since Great Depression, at least as I understand. Well, yeah, based on a lot of figures, things like unemployment, um, obviously uh, it, it looks like it may very well be the case. Yeah. Um, so, you know, who will know? Uh, because again, a, a lot of it is sort of based on how long it lasts. If everyone goes back to work tomorrow, uh, yeah, I think it's still going to suck, and I think it's going to uh, you know unravel some some underlying issues. You can watch my uh, my video on will this be the next Great Depression to to hear my thoughts on that. Chiching, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those things that again, of course, time is a big variable in all of this as well. Now, uh, Benji the Engi uh, very very tentatively had a question that he wanted to ask, so uh, he was trying to be super polite and he sort of asked. So uh, I will hand over to you. Do you do you want to ask your question? terrified uh hello um i'm just curious hi uh what are your qualifications i suppose because as a young person that's something i tend to be interested in uh like where does this person come from uh oh my god i'm scared uh, no, um, you're doing fine keep, keep you're fine yeah uh and because i just want to know uh how I could, you know, just answer the question. Thank you. No, that's okay. Uh, and there's no need to be scared. I mean, no one. Um, I think all of us are, are big fat nerds here, uh, so uh, you're not you're not impressing or embarrassing anyone. So so don't. Uh, and also, you know, don't uh, don't don't feel uh, scared to to be asking a question that's very very valid. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, 
uh, questioning the credentials of people that you're receiving information from uh, is important. So my background is, is I am an economist. Um, I, I did an undergraduate degree in economics. I did a master's degree in business analytics, uh, you know, focusing on, on macroeconomic solutions and how it applies to um, you know, you know, business. Uh, so it's, it's basically a data degree. And then I started a, a, a PhD uh, in economics, but I, I did drop out of the program um, because I basically got a job in the private sector that, uh, that paid well and I'm a big fat sellout. Uh, and that was actually originally the inspiration for, uh, for starting this channel. Uh, you know, through that program, I you know, had the opportunity to teach people and I really, really enjoyed that process of you know, sitting down and sort of talking through these fun uh, issues and, and trivialities and complex structures and things of that nature. Uh, with people who genuinely wanted to learn and uh, it kind of started out with the fact that hey you know look if I can get you know four or five people to talk to me about something that I find interesting I'm going to see that as a big win um, you know obviously that started a very very long time ago uh, and you know now of course it's a very very large YouTube channel that you know gets hundreds of thousands of views which of course I'm extremely grateful for uh, and it, it also enables me to have you know conversations with people like you and, uh, and effectively I like to think of this as my little collaborative classroom that I'm missing out on uh, as a big fat corporate sellout but uh, that is a very roundabout way of saying um, that's 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 who I am I suppose hey can I ask a related question yeah go ahead yeah so I'm a pretty young guy I'm like 17 and I wanted to know what uh, resources you could use to get a more basic understanding of economics I'm not very uh literate when it comes to you know this thing and it interests me a bit uh sorry i think you just got muted there no i heard him what was the question sorry that's why you okay. want to ask the question good thank you so yeah i'm a, I'm a relatively young guy i'm like 17 and i wanted to know what you could uh how you could grasp some more basic understanding of you know economics maybe on a large scale because you know i'm not really literate in anything when it comes to economics yeah, I think um, like uh, my channel look uh, like much as a shameless plug. Uh, I think my <laughs> channel has a lot of assumed knowledge. Um, like I sort of go into it and I sort of you know I'll, I'll spurt out things like GDP and I'll just expect people to know what that means. Well, uh, and and I do well, that just, uh, just read a book. Uh, I don't think there, that's necessary. Multiple like ba basic economic books. Uh, there's economics in one lesson by Henry Hazlitt. I think. Okay, can, you, can we let let EE finish first? I think look the 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 uh, the notion of go and read a book is is a bit sort of um, standoffish to be honest. Uh, of course, you know, go and read a book could be the answer to how do I learn about absolutely anything, uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to uh, you know be able to sort of grasp it in a in a way that's going to work for you. Now, look, if you do enjoy learning via videos, uh, again, hey, look, as much as possible. <laughs> You know, as much as I'm obviously going to shamelessly plug, you know, go and watch my videos. Uh, but again, they do have a little bit of assumed knowledge. So if there is things that are going over your head, uh, that's no fault of your own. I, I just sort of say, well, look, I've got 16 minutes to go over a topic. I'm just going to assume that people are up to, you know, let's say a high school level of economics. Because again, that's what, that's what I was teaching undergraduate students, right? So, you know, I kind of assume that they had that level of things. That's how I teach. I would say, yeah, uh, someone, uh, Jacob Clifford is fantastic. Yeah. Um, go and watch his stuff. It's, it's very much elementary. Like, this is what GDP means. Uh, this is what, you know, trade. This is what the non-accelerating income rate of unemployment means. All of that kind of technical stuff. Um, sort of the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of economics. Uh, there's also Crash Course Economics, which is fantastic as well. 
Khan Academy has a great one. He's always amazing. Uh, and then I think the next step up from there is is uh, Ray Dalio has a half hour documentary, which is really really good to understand uh, the business cycle and debt cycle. Uh, again, it's more of a case study video, but it is really really interesting. Um, so I think go yeah. and watch those. I you know obviously well, can't recommend them enough because they do have sort of a, a lower level of assumed knowledge, which is great for people starting out. Yeah, I get that, but it's just uh, you know, with videos like yours and stuff, when you talk about like. Like I've seen a couple of your country videos are pretty interesting, but it's like, uh, you know, I'm aware that there are different like forms of economic theory. So I'm not really sure. Like, you know, ah, you know, yes. what any, when you're talking about yeah. schools, schools of economic ah. thought, uh, yeah, of course, that's when it sort of gets, that's complicated. Cause it's not like maths, right. Where there is a way to do this and that is correct. Um, or, you know, even science where there's sort of like generally pretty agreed upon theories. Uh, now my advice to you would be, look, for, for the School's Economic Thoughts, while you're starting out, um, don't get overly concerned with it. Learn about the nuts and bolts, learn about the mechanics, and then you can sort of choose which way you want to think about it. Now, I'm a car guy. The way I'd describe this, I don't know. What what, what are you into? Do you like cars? Do you like, you know, cars, video <laughs> Not games? Not really into cars. Well, what, are you, what are you into? What are you into? I'll What's your hobby? Uh, well, maybe games, music, I don't know. Ah, all right, all right, all right. So let's say, let's say you're really into music, all right? Uh, and let's say you're learning to play the guitar. There are the basics of learning to play the guitar. You know, you've got to learn the chords, you learn how to hold it, you know, uh, learn the difference between acoustic, a bass guitar, an electric guitar, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know that much about uh, learning the guitar, but you know, obviously how to hold it, you know, how to do all that sort of stuff. Now you've got to learn those basic fundamentals before you decide whether you're gonna go into acoustic, uh, you know, melodies or thrash metal or classic rock and roll, right? And that tends to be the schools of economic thoughts. Get the basics down pat, and then you'll sort of fall into, you know, you'll form your own sort of opinions about how things should work. And, and the other thing is don't confine yourself to a particular school of economic thoughts. If you're a great guitarist, there's no reason to believe that you can't sort of dabble in all of them. Uh, and I think there is merit to most of the schools of economic thoughts, because at the end of the day, if there wasn't merit, um, you know, they wouldn't exist. So uh, I hope that sort of gives you some clarity for now. Um, learn the basics oh, yeah, and then, yeah. I'm living gravity, sorry. Okay, well, thanks. All right, so uh, Beatrice uh, Bernardo asked the question and I'm looking at it and I'm really, this is one of the questions I really wanted somebody to ask, so it was all right if I ask it on behalf of them. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. Oh, I don't know if you can see it, it's in the chat. Uh, can you tie up uh, between China's uh, neocolonialism, asset grabbing through debt trap, and the idea that the market is perfect, efficient, and competitive? If it is bad, then why is it bad? Which part of the market is broken? And I would add to that, is it necessarily bad that uh, China has the ability to enter into these types of contracts? So this is uh this is a great sort of case of the fact that you know people make these assumptions about a perfect market because it's easy to deal with now uh if we were to take that sort of perfect little assumption we would say sorry uh, i'll ask again everyone sort of by default unless you have a question to ask just please mute, mute your microphones um but uh sorry as i was saying uh, of course you know we make these assumptions because it makes things like macroeconomics easy to deal with if we kind of make the assumption that all other things have been equal now my personal opinion on this is uh to answer um captain Locke's question first is that it isn't, it isn't necessarily bad who's echoing speak now 
Uh, okay, it isn't necessarily bad. Um, you know, look, in, in a sort of uh, long-term thing, if, if these countries can work with China to develop their local industries, China will benefit off them getting rich because they're going to be a more developed economy and they're going to be able to produce more, um, you know, more wealth for their Chinese overlords. And in, you know, in doing so, they'll be able to produce more wealth for themselves. Now, um, that is ultimately sort of the, the perfect market. Now, the imperfect part of this is that these debts aren't necessarily fair or they aren't necessarily even possible. They kind of verge on being usurious. Now, a big thing to take away from this is the debts that China writes to, to these countries uh, actually normally have pretty low interest, low or no interest. Um, of course, you know, they can basically materialize uh, Chinese RMB and, and give them to, to these countries to then employ factories so it eventually finds its way back to them. Um, but of course, the repayment sort of uh, period might be in a, in a case where it's just not possible for these countries to really pay it back. And that's probably the dishonest part of it, that they're kind of getting these loans that are verging on being usurious um, in the sense that the repayment terms are just, you know, it's, it's well and truly beyond the capacity of these countries. So that, that's probably um, on the more dishonest side, uh, which goes in the face of the fact that, you know, it's the perfect market. But uh, I, would, I would encourage that in a perfect market, um, you know, we've got to let go of one assumption. And I think the assumption that we let go of here is that people, or in this case, a country, is a perfectly rational individual with access to perfect information. Uh, in this case, of course, they, they sign the contract so they can sort of see exactly what they're getting into. Um, but they're probably not rational people. They're either influenced by, you know, it's got to be said, corruption, um, you know, maybe sort of uh, an overly optimistic stance on how great their country's going to be after this, uh, or, uh, you know, some other sort of combination of both of them, uh, which I think is the, the ultimate linchpin. If we let go of the assumption that people are always rational individuals, which I think is the weakest assumption uh, in macroeconomics, uh, yeah. that's, that's how that, this sort of stuff happens. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, China will heavily influence you know, the leadership of these countries and say, you know, it's going to be great. Maybe we'll sort of slip you some wealth on the side. Who knows? Uh, and that's how we get to situations like this. Fantastic question. I love it. I love sort of poking holes in the idea that, that economics is a perfect science because it's not. Uh, I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, how do you think the interest rates uh, or the quantitative easing that the Fed is doing will affect the U.S. economy? Do you think this is going to be effective in propping up the U U.S. economy or uh, will it cre create more inflation in the stock market or will the stock market see through it? Yeah, so I look, I did address this in um, two, two videos to sort of basically rounded up my point. Um, but in sort of a too long didn't watch, even though you definitely should watch, uh, you know, again, shameless plug, um, is that, uh, look, uh, America is very, very lucky in the fact that they are a world reserve currency. So there's a somewhat continuous demand for, uh, for their currency. But ultimately, you have to pay for overindulgence in one way. Now, we've overindulged for 10 years. Um, you know, we've, we've taken on more debt than we can sort of facilitate, so we have to pay for it now. And there's two ways that we can pay for it on a national level. Uh, either we collectively pay back more than, uh, either we collectively pay back more and live on less. Uh, well, in this case, that would also mean sort of we, we you know, tax less, uh, tax more and spend less. Uh, and on an individual level, it might mean that we, you know, just spend less on smashed avocado toast. Uh, but let's look at it in a, as a national level. So it normally means that we, we tax more uh, and we spend less, or we print away the problem. So we're either paying for it through taxes or we're paying through it through inflation. 
Uh, at the moment, it seems like we're going to pay through it through, through inflation. Uh, do you think that? Um, well, well, do you by taxes? Do you mean tax revenues or tax rates? Uh, they're you know effectively the same thing. If you have higher tax rates, you're going to normally have higher tax revenues. All other things being equal. I mean, from the evidence I've seen, that has only been uh, true with most payroll taxes, not necessarily um, like marginal income taxes, since most people can try and get around them uh, quite effectively. So. Yeah. Um, well, like I mean, yes and no. Of course, it's ultimately down to how effectively you can levy those taxes. Uh, now, if it's generic sort of regular, you know, people, employee income taxes, normally. Um, that's something, you know, obviously when you're talking about more advanced types of income, um, you know, asset income, uh, capital gains, stuff like that. Yeah. Or, you know, company income, there are more effective ways to get around it. Uh, when you're talking about individual employees, normally people pay their taxes. Uh, now of course that's broad strokes, broad strokes before people come out and freaking attack me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a sort of a somewhat effective way of, you know, raising, raising capital. Um, but in this case, look, it's, it's completely irrelevant anyway. Um, we're, we're, we're printing our way out of this problem. What will it mean? Um, short term inflation in financial markets, which is why we're sort of seeing, um, you know, shares that, you know, are going up despite, you know, the world going to shit, uh, and long term, probably inflation in, in all markets, but, um, you know, and maybe that's better than the alternative, right? Do you, do you think we run out of bullets in the case the next recession comes, especially, um, since there's we cannot go further down interest rates. Um, yeah, do you think central banks have any other sort of tool in the case we have a recession? So this is actually something really interesting. Um, and when people talk about the money printers going burr, um, there's two really interesting things to look at. Um, Jack Free, I'm gonna mute you because you're echoing. Um, and uh, Again, I just want to remind everyone, if you can, by default, just mute your mics. Unless you have a question to ask, then you can unmute them. Okay, so um, when we're talking about uh, central banks printing lots of money to, to introduce out there, um, a lot of people have said, oh, well, interest rates are already at 0%. What are we going to do? Um, now, lowering interest rates is just a way that central banks can get money out there. The idea is that, you know, uh, private institutions will be more uh, obliged to uh, borrow money off them because they will be able to pay back in you know, a sort of lower amounts and then you know they can pass those savings along to regular individuals who will in turn be more um, you know more excited to uh, actually sort of you know take out a loan if I can get an interest rate of three percent for a home loan you beauty it's way 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 more affordable to me uh, and you know, way sort of more financially beneficial than if I was to get a home loan that was you know at eight percent. So it's one way of getting money out there. Now, uh, one thing that I do want you guys to think about is the relationship between private banks and central banks in actually adding money to circulation. Now, a vast majority of money today is introduced into the system as credit. When you go and take out a loan, be it a home loan, a credit card loan, a car loan, personal loan, any kind of loan, it's normally going to be through a central bank. Nobody here, oh, sorry, through a, through a private bank. Nobody here is rich enough or influential enough to be taking out a loan through a central bank. Uh, okay. Now, Just for you, yeah, well, who knows? Now, if that 
happens, what they do is they effectively type that money into existence. They open up a big imaginary Excel spreadsheet that's very secure, and they just type in $400,000. They just put it into the system that you have that money in your account. You beauty, you've created money. That is the real money printer in the economy. The amount that those central, like those private banks make is far, far higher uh, than what uh, you know the central bank creates. Now, of course, there are reserve requirements. They need to keep some real cash on hand uh, as a proportion of, of them actually doing that. Uh, well, up until recently, they needed to. Um, that has been rolled back. But uh, that they're the ultimate sort of um, thing that actually pumps money out into the economy. So, of course, everyone's making fun of the reserve bank and their money printer going brrr. Uh, but the problem is, it's ultimately to alleviate the fact that private banks, their money printers are not going brrr, uh, and that's a real problem because that's what actually sort of gets money out there into the economy and, and keeps everything sort of chugging along. Um, so in a sense, the, uh, the central bank's kind of stepping up and sort of, uh, you know, sort of acting on behalf of these central banks. But if anything, um, if private banks don't keep on lending as they normally would, uh, you'd be shocked just how much money is created outside of, of central banks. Uh, it's a very, very complex system, and it's it's quite it, it requires sort of completely divorcing your mind from what you normally think of um, the cash and how it's created. But it is uh, it is truly interesting, and it kind of gives context to the fact that hey, it seems absurd that we're just sort of materializing all of this money. It seems absurd that Jay Powell is is there in the Fed, you know, cranking out you know uh, trillions of dollars, but in reality, uh, it might not actually even be enough. I have a question. Go ahead. Wouldn't a steeper inflation not make the lenders more reluctant? Or is there no uh, connection to that? Yeah, so uh, inflation is obviously something that uh, would would take it into account. Now, if you're a, a debt holder, which banks uh, ultimately are, inflation is really shit for you. Um, you know, inflation is not great because, uh, you know, if let's say there's 100% inflation and you are, are owed a million dollar debt, that debt halves in value every year. Now, the other thing is, what's the alternative? Potentially, it is putting money into equities. Um, you know, actually sort of holding an asset rather than sort of like holding on to uh, this creditor of cash that's owed to you. Uh, but yeah, it is one thing that yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the prospect of future inflation can be pretty detrimental to uh, people's willingness to, to borrow money, uh, to lend money. Yeah, I have a question. Um, have the low oil prices have uh, lessened the coronavirus impact? I think it's probably like, been. Yeah, it's yeah, a good yeah. question. Uh, I think it's kind of been uh, something that's spooked a lot of people. People have gone, "Holy shit, that's not good." Uh, which it, which it isn't. Um, you know, of course, there are sort of a lot of industries in the United States, things like shale oil and stuff like that, that depend on having at least a decent. Uh, supply of, uh, you know, a decently priced oil. Um, but anyway, that, that's not the case anymore, so rip shale oil. But on a bigger picture, though, uh, it might be sort of a blessing in disguise for a lot of businesses. Uh, you know, think of, uh, well, obviously there's manufacturing and stuff like that that uses, um, you know, uh, oil for, for energy. But airlines, you know, obviously they're kind of getting a kick in the pants at the moment. A huge expense for them is is normally fuel, like to, to fuel their planes, uh, and then it's staff and obviously maintenance and stuff like that. This cheap fuel uh, is kind of a, a bit of a blessing at their most desperate time of need, 
uh, to keep a lot of them sort of chugging along. And uh, obviously with no revenue, it doesn't mean much to them, but there are a lot of airlines that also sort of moonlight as uh, couriers and they have, you know, um, freight freight uh, wings and stuff like that as well. Uh, so that might be sort of the, uh, a little boost that they need to keep themselves in the air, I guess. Um, but outside of that, look, yeah, it's normally good for most industries, apart from ones that are directly based on, on selling oil. Um, uh, I have a question. Have a question. Uh, uh, yeah, you go first, uh, man, with deep voice. All right. Um, basically, uh, will you be making a video for how uh, an individual should act in the uh, this coming economic crisis? I know, and that might be a little bit controversial or why you might not want to make it but uh will you be making it because i am very much interested in watching such a video uh okay well i mean it's an interesting uh, video idea now normally my channel focuses more on sort of well macroeconomics uh or sort of wider policy economics but i think uh, look i mean this would be my advice if you've still got a job um obviously still live somewhat frugally invest while you know you can sort of dollar cost average out through this crisis people that were uh, you know, uh, able to invest during the 2008 mortgage crisis came out uh, well and truly ahead. And they're still massively ahead even after all of this sort of stuff has happened. That's personally what I'm doing. Obviously, I'm, I'm extremely lucky in the sense that I still have income. So I'm just using this opportunity to, uh, you know, to buy up assets that, that might effectively go on sale, I suppose. Outside of that, it ultimately does depend on your individual country because uh, obviously there's lots of considerations. Are you able to directly expose yourself to the US stock market, for example? Uh, what are the tax sort of ramifications? What kind of stimulus are you owed? I would encourage sort of finding a good financial um, YouTuber or uh, deferring to your local um, financial subreddit. So um, obviously there's there's financial advice, which is pretty generic and, it's, and it goes for all of, basically it's focused on America. Um, if you're Australian, there's there's Oz Finance, uh, but even sort of looking at people like I don't know Graham Stephan, uh, obviously you know take a lot of the uh, you have to take a lot of filler with with the actual sort of words of wisdom, but uh, obviously relatively smart individual and he's got a lot of good genuine sort of simple advice. Save money. Yeah, like, advice, like. <laughs> huh. Thank you very much. That's okay. I have a question. I have, I, I've just. Oh. Uh, uh, the, whoever had, I have a question first. You you sort of asked uh, before he did. Uh, who? Me or him? Uh, I guess you, Quaternion. Uh, yeah. I don't know what your name is, but yeah, yeah you go first. Quaternion. <laughs> uh, my name is Zinev. Uh, I live in Canada. Um, and I just had a question specifically in my context. Uh, the inflation rate was quite high. And during this time, like uh, certain bonds got cheaper. I was wondering if this is a good time to buy government bonds. Yeah, so um, that's a it's an interesting question. Now, look, I don't know about investment advice. My uh, my exposure is almost entirely towards equities. This is the only the only thing I can really give you uh, is what I do. Because again, I'm not a financial planner. I don't know jack shit about uh, Canadian government bonds. I'm Australian and I barely know anything about Australian government bonds because it's just not my area of interest and it's also not my area of, of investing. Uh, almost exclusively what I'm invested in uh, is Vanguard exchange traded funds. I have exposure to the US market, the world market uh, and the Australian market and that's basically the three things that I hold. 
Um, obviously, I'm young and that's a relatively risky approach, but that's that's where my sort of investing advice begins and ends, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, again, there are, there are better people to speak to. Um, I, well, could I now say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, I've just uh, watched uh, the video uh, this uh, about China. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say that uh, I, I loved it. It was uh, very interesting and uh, informative. Uh, but I think um, that there are probably some things that uh, maybe, mm, well, you didn't look at, I think. Speak to me. Uh, first, uh, firstly, um, well, <clears throat> uh, if China enters an economic crisis, as for example, Japan did in the late 80s, in the 90s, uh, wouldn't it force sort of the uh, maritime uh, cities on the shore of China, on the coast, coastal cities of China, to a sort of a competition between each other for some better agreements, contracts with the foreign firms for the trade and the production, manufacturing, etc. And wouldn't that uh, co cause some destability in China thus? Yeah, um, I see what you I see what you mean, and of course that happened to a to a relatively minor extent in um, in, in Japan, and, and there are sort of cases with that, uh, you know, where states even sort of fight off against states. The USA is probably the best example of that. Um, you know, when we had things like Amazon, you know, setting up its second headquarters, we had cities and states basically begging them and, and sort of talking about how much cash they're not going to tax them. Um, so I think probably America is a better example of that actually happening because, of course, it's a collection of United States. Um, so there is some, some liberties that those states hold. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a major concern for China. Uh, the reason being is it is incredibly centralized in its power. Uh, if that happened, you know, of course, there are sort of local governors and stuff like that. Um, but if it became an issue you know, uh, Xi Jinping or the Chinese Communist Party, the, the federal party would, would swoop in and they would stamp that shit out so fast uh, if it sort of uh, threatened the, the stability of the nation. Well, of course, um, that's true that China has a very, uh, as you said, uh, well, I put it in probably in different words, the centralized regime, right? Yeah. A, a very uh, harsh regime, uh, but uh, wasn't it the case in China uh, like always and uh, in the past China uh, experienced an internal crisis uh, during the times when it had uh, a very centralized dictatorship just as it has right now? Yeah, so I think uh, not, not much just a change apart from their industrial output and when you're talking about protect Potentially, do you mean like the disparity between cities and the country? Because uh, that's an ongoing issue, of course. You know, cities are far, far wealthier than uh, than people living in the country, uh, and that is causing some level of unrest. Um, but um, to to in the in the case of keeping it brief, uh, I don't think sort of fights between let's say Shenzhen and Shanghai uh, are going to get to a point where it's going to cause that level of unrest. Because if it does, uh, you better believe that that Beijing will swoop in and. And make sure it gets pretty damn fair, pretty damn fast. So, a good question. I, uh, I got my answer. Uh, thank you. That's okay. Yeah, excellent. All right. Um, so it is extremely late here. Um, 
I am going to answer one more question and then I'm going to go to sleep. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, as usual, I'll defer over to just opening up the forum and, and you guys can all sort of certainly speak amongst yourselves. And uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people that are far smarter than me in here, so potentially the, the quality of the conversation will improve after I'm gone. Who knows? Uh, but who has the last question of the night? Will you be doing a video on the Belt and Road Initiative? Uh, yes, I will. Uh, okay. Uh, one more question. Is an, that was an easy one. Yeah, just DPA. There is an uh, like a question and answers uh, full topic on it. Like uh, we don't. I mean Q and A and like for hours. If you don't, uh... not just like one hour. Oh, well, yeah, look, I think the thing is I, I sort of time these videos to go up um, sort of as Europe is going, as America is waking up and Europe is sort of coming home for the afternoon just so that it kind of uh, gets to the most people at the best time. Uh, but it also means that it's like 2 a.m. here in Australia for me. Uh, yeah, you suffer and, a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, and I, you know, I look, uh, don't worry, I smash plenty of Red Bulls, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I do need some sleep. I'm like, please. Um, I have a question about the video. All right, all right, this is the last question. This is the last question, and I'm going to sleep. All right, go, go ahead, go ahead, ask away. Uh, which one? Yours. Which one was? You. Uh, I was, like, wondering about that, um, middle income trap that you talked that you talked about and uh, asking myself like is it a policy issues issue why are countries accepting this issue you know why why would the country like to be in this middle income trap and how can it by which policies can it get out of uh, well countries don't like to be in a middle income track it's something that just happens to them naturally as their citizens demand higher and higher wages as a, a country becomes wealthier and wealthier. Um, so policies that they can do, look, you know, um, obviously they can sort of work on making sure that their manufacturing becomes more and more developed. They can work on making sure that their uh, exports are more competitive uh, despite having higher paid employees, or they can work on their internal economy to make it a self-sufficient market without the need to necessarily have uh, a strong export market so that it kind of, kind of bridge the gap. The other alternative is, of course, they can make, they can sort of say, oh, we're not just, we're just not going to pay you more and there's always going to be a, a poor, uh, you know, working class that we can take advantage of, but that's going to be ridiculously unpopular amongst the citizens of the nation, of course. Um, and I guess the final one is you can do what China does and just go and sort of pass the buck down to the next poorest nation along and, uh, and you know, try and take advantage of them. So there you go. That's the that's the four one one. If you find yourself as a leader of a country going through rapid development, um, so hopefully that applies to at least one of you watching here tonight, and you can apply that uh, that information well. If not, no worries. But I am going to sleep. Thanks for your time, guys. Thanks for watching the video. Thanks for all the great, fantastic questions. Feel free to talk amongst yourself uh, as always, and I'll see you on Sunday. Keep dreaming at space, EE. Oh, and goodbye to everyone on YouTube.